Hi, and welcome to the July 26, 2007 edition of the Big Monkey Podcast, recorded on-site at Big Monkey Comics, located at 1722B, 14th Street, in Washington, D.C., here in a small shack in Omaha where we can't get no sleep because the rainbow road to Asgard is too bright, three guys and a gal get together to ponder those questions that have pondered us for years, such as, does Robin and Supergirl smell more like teen spirit? This is the Big Monkey Podcast. I'm Ben Hatton, writer of Those Wednesdays, and I'll be your MC for the next hour of comic discussion and debate. As I said last week, we're recording uh, on this week to catch up after our longer-than-usual break. Uh, to fully get up to speed, you can look forward to another podcast next week. That's right, three podcasts, three Thursdays, what a world we live in. Joining me today is a slightly different lineup, so let's get started with some introductions. Directly to my left. Oh, I'm Devon Sanders of Seven Hells. <laughs> I'm Skip Garling of the Absorbscon. And I'm Tori Tyler. Of the women's Big Monkey Women's Discussion Group. Sweet. Woo. Thank you for coming, Tori. Hey, thank you very much. Now, for those of you who tuned in last week, uh, you know our first topic was uh, about Green Arrow. Um, well, this week we're talking about uh, the female in the relationship, uh, Dinah Lance, uh, or Black Canary. Celebrating her 60th year in print uh, next month, this Conagher creation has uh, had some big changes recently. And uh, last, like last week, I wanted to kick off the discussion with what do you think the character has brought to comics over history, or you know, has she brought anything to comics in her time in a, in print? And we're going to start with Devon with his great pensive look. I because I've never heard this question before mm. because I'm not privy to your notes, Ben. <laughs> but um, man, you guys are real quick to say Green Arrow doesn't have any importance <laughs> whatsoever. <laughs> this is this is a Conagher question, well, so this you know this is. Yeah. This is weighing heavily it on is, my mind. It's a heavy question. It is. What has what has Black Canary brought to comics other than like you know fishnets and karate fighting? <laughs> you know what? That's all you need is fishnets and karate fighting. <laughs> That's all I need. Yeah, honestly. Um, honestly, it's like you know, other than like Wonder Woman, she's it. You know, it's like she brings a, a definite female perspective that Wonder Woman definitely doesn't. Give uh, the human female perspective. Right, exactly. Right. It's like Wonder Woman sits around and she proselytizes. Big word. That's a skip word. Um, <laughs> and Give me my <laughs> <laughs> while Black Canary's like, okay, just show me what to hit, and it's just like, wow, she's beautiful and she hits. It's just like <laughs> she's like Layla Ali. It's just awesome. <laughs> so yeah, it's just that's she, what Black Canary gives to the DC universe. Fair enough. Skip. Yeah. If there's Batman and Superman for guys. There's Black Canary and Wonder Woman for mm. women. Um, she's basically, you know, the the female version of Batman. I mean, mm. she's never really presented that way, but she doesn't have any superpowers. Um, well, she does now, but she didn't originally. Um, and she basically just she put on a costume and she fought crime. And the thing I always liked about her is that she had a very regular life other than that. She was a sort of mousy woman who ran a flower shop. Mm. You know, go into your florist. Sherwood florist. Exactly. <laughs> everyone's kind of florist. Right? <laughs> yeah, it's like, look at the next time you go into a florist and imagine your florist going around being a superhero. Mm. Although it can be easy to picture them wearing fishnets sometimes. <laughs> um, certainly the local florist. Certainly the local florist. But, 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 you know, literally, that's all she needs to be iconic. 
you know, she doesn't need anything special. Um, now she has sort of her canary cry. So she's kind of sort of in this gray area between regular hero and superhero. Mm. And that that's kind of an, a, a good niche for her because she can kick your butt by just like shoving her boot in your face or she can do the sonic scream and send a whole bunch of thugs flying. It, and she can do either one of those. That works really well for me. Yeah. Tori, you've come in after some of the changes yes. that she went through. Because, you know, she, you know, you guys' big beef with the Green Arrow was that he didn't change in 70 years or whatever. You know. No, no, that's a mischaracterization. <laughs> Pardon me. Our change, he changed. She just changed for the worse. Worse, right. <laughs> no one can say that Black Canary has not changed for the better. Mm, very true. Right? I, think I would so. say that. Yeah. I mean, I think so. mostly thank to, thankfully to Gail Simone and her portrayal. Um, over what five years of uh, yeah about birds five of years of birds of prey about fifty issues so what about you Tori what do you think of Black Canary as a character well I, you know I think it's interesting because just having just having met Black Canary um, recently um, it seems to me that she is less you know you kind of compared her to the Batman um, and and the way I see her is. You know, I see Batman as very stoic and, like, you can't mess with him and there's he's to be feared. Whereas, yes, Black Canary's going to kick your ass. Um, and if she doesn't hit you hard, she's going to figure out how to hit you harder. <laughs> but, you know, she also has, you know, when she's with the Birds of Prey and she and Oracle are sitting around, you know, eating fried chicken and mm. talking about, you know, you know, she's crying on her shoulder about, you know, what do we do about this, or why am I off with Dr. Midnight, or, you know, or, like, the vampire man. So there's things about her that I see she has evolved, and when she went to the, um, uh, now that she's the head of the JLA, she's very, <laughs> she's, you know, she seems more powerful now than she did when she was in, in Birds of Prey. Amen. Really? Yeah, yeah, I would say so. Oh, see, that's an interesting perspective to me because, uh, well, she seems like she's at a higher level, but she doesn't seem more powerful. I've been very disappointed. Well, they with haven't her portrayal in JLA. They haven't given her anything to do. That's the problem. I mean, she's like, you know, in the pantheon of fighters, she's like right up there. But you know, what have they given her to do? It's like, you know, and I don't want to bash, but it's like <laughs> the people who are writing her aren't writing her. Yeah, I haven't so, seen. I feel like I haven't seen anything out of her out of right. JLA. Whereas Birds of Prey, she was very like exactly. she was very in your face. Exactly, she was the just she's being wasted in JLA. Yeah, and it, I guess I, I feel like it's just kind of a shame that Gail Simone had to give up Black Canary because she was she, doing something. She made like him it. so she made her so interesting. Right, and they're like everyone said, well, I wanted uh, a piece of the Black Canary now. Right, I want to get a crack at writing her. Yeah, yeah. when um, in fact in in Melter's run when she's made the head. One of the things they say is, it's time. Unfortunately, that's sort of the sense that you get. Okay, she's the head of the JLA now just because it's time for a woman to be the head of the JLA. Not because she's the right person for the job. Right. It, it or the way seems like too much tokenism. Right, you can, the way she's being written. You can write the Black Canary in a way that she would be the right person for the job. Yeah, They're Jeff not, Johns made it very clear in JSA mm -hmm. why Power Girl's the head thing. In, in one issue, why she's the head of the group, and that hasn't been done yet with Black Canary. I'd like to see that be done. Uh, Mark Wade did a great job with that in JLA Year One. Mm. To, that's where I first had an idea of what 
Black Canary was like. Hmm. Well, I, you know, think about the last Birds of Prey that Gail just wrote. You know, there Black Canary was again. Like, she, she walks through. It was like she was, like, the guest star in Birds of Prey. <laughs> and... She was tough as hell. She's oh, the she one that like, took over, you know, and and everything in JLA. It's like she's kind of even drawn into the background. Whereas, you know, mm. you flip that page and it's you knew it was going to be Black Canary, and you were like, there she is, right. you know. And <laughs> it was, know. so, and exactly. that was that was the perfect that was the perfect her- characterization of right. Black Canary. No, absolutely, and uh, yeah, no, I agree that um, she's more interesting in Black Canary. She's more or in Birds of Prey. She's a more interesting character. In, in Green Arrow, and I actually want to use this um, as a point to uh, springboard off, because there was a time where Winnick was writing her as a, she was a, in every month of Green Arrow, right around, what, the 20s, the 25s, um, right before she left, and Devon, you made a comment when we were talking <laughs> once, that when, Green, that when Black Canary uh, stepped back into the pages of Green Arrow in, what, like, 73, right before the end, you were like, that's like a demotion. It is a demotion. And... You know, it's like she gets promoted to manager, and she walks into the page of the Green Arrow, and now she's a fry cook again. <laughs> Stand no. back, pretty bird. <laughs> no, oh, which is not how it was represented bird. at no. all. Let me tell you what, like, honestly, <laughs> let me tell you what, like, Black Canary in the JLA is like. Once upon a time, I went into the Tiffany store to get, like, uh, to get some jewelry. <laughs> Okay. I can't wait to okay. Yeah, Hear me out. The week. <laughs> Hear me out. Okay. Once upon a time, I went into a Tiffany store to go get some jewelry. Now I went onto the sales floor, and I bought something, and then I had to get it engraved. Okay. And then I went to the back, and I was like, okay, up front, this is what Tiffany is. Tiffany is like the JLA. In the back, I went to the back. That's where all the black people were in the Tiffany's. <laughs> Fair and enough. I was like, this is where Green Arrow should be. <laughs> <laughs> Working at Tiffany, you know, I'm a little confused. It's like, I didn't know. Okay. He went, what he I'm just, trying to say is that in Birds of Prey, Black Canary was the was front all, of the store. Was the front of the store. Absolutely. And then she had to go into the back. Ah. When she came back in Green Arrow. Exactly. And it just did not feel right in more ways than one. Well, so I, I wanted said to last week was that we're wondering whether they may be headed in a reverse direction now. Whether the idea is, like I said last week, to make Green Arrow Mrs. Black Canary. Right. And I actually want to think get you get your guys' opinion of the uh, upcoming marriage, the three one issues. You know, is is it a good move that DC that you think DC is doing with the character? Um. It's a good move to do with the characters from from out here at a meta level. But I just keep shouting at the comic book, what are you thinking, Dinah? Don't do it. He's a jerk. <laughs> <laughs> you know, go back with Dr. Midnight. He's a nice man. He's a doctor. You know? <laughs> but, but, you know, as I was, I was talking to Tori about this the other day, um, her mother married a jerk. Hmm. Her, her dad was a jerk. He was a jackass. He was just like... Green Arrow, and I, I used to think, okay, it wasn't realistic that somebody like it wasn't correct characterization would would like somebody like him. But as I've grown a little more old, uh, grown older, I've begun to realize that a little maybe more maybe it's, <laughs> maybe it is disturbingly realistic, right? For for a well accomplished uh, woman like Black Canary to be putting up with somebody like Oliver Queen. So yeah. 
story. I just, I mean, I'd love to see. There was the in the last um, in the last book there was Oliver sitting on the floor in his jeans and his t-shirt, like saying, "Oh, I, I'll watch Sin," and she's in her. This is the stocking. miniseries. Yeah, and you know she's in her fishnet stocking. She's like, "Well, yeah, I've got things to do." You know, <laughs> you know, I just want her to just be like, "Yeah, you know, I'm, I'm gonna go do my thing," and if you're here, you know, great, because I don't have time for you to. Yeah. Call me pretty bird. It, it, exactly. I just I, I want to I want to just smack him upside. I hate that pretty bird yeah. nonsense. I, yeah. It just oh. God. And it makes me irritated that Black Canary doesn't hate it when he calls her pretty yeah. bird. <laughs> I know. Well, it is you know, I mean, who's writing the uh, the miniseries? I can't uh, remember. Tony Bedard. Yeah, but it's not exactly you know, in, on some level you're still having guys writing female characters, and sometimes things that you know that that'll let. Things slip by that you know. Yeah. You know, like. Well, and that's my real concern because if they put them together, we can all sit here and say, "Oh, this is great," and he's clearly taking kind of a backseat, like Ben was saying last week, and she's coming into the forefront. Until some other writer picks it up and reverses that, and, and suddenly it's they'll go back to the seventies bird thing. It'll be longbow hunters already all yeah. over again. Next thing you know, she's the her voice is slit, her throat is slit again. again. Right. Yeah. She's back she's to wearing a wig. Yeah. Right. You know. No, I agree. I mean, I, I said it before. I don't need a Green Arrow ser- series co-starring Black Canary. I, I don't want it the other way around either. I the, the strongest thing about both characters for me, because, I mean, I've been a big Green Arrow fan for a long time, and Black Canary, it wasn't until I got back into DC Comics in the early like in like 99, 2000, that I really started appreciating what that character brings to the comics. Kind of, again, uh, it's a human, you know, uh, I like the characters who are human, who if they fall through a, you know, a car, are going to spend eight, you know, eight months in traction. You know, when she was in the wheelchair, yeah. when they wrote that storyline where she was in a wheelchair because she got her legs broken, you mm. know, that was a great storyline because it shows... Here's what happens when a person who can't punch <laughs> through a brick wall gets hurt. They can do amazing things with those characters, who that sort of thing. Even Batman, they, somehow, like because he has above average, you know, athleticism, he survives things that you know it's a comic book. But there's something and about it's panel. He's just tape on my ribs, Alfred. Right, tape up the ribs, Alfred. Yeah. But you know what was great about that comic that you just mentioned? Black Canary still whooped everyone's ass, yeah, no, but yeah. from the waist up. That's right. I'm t- she exactly. pulled her way through. Exactly. She brought her down the stairs. <laughs> right. Really? Yeah, oh, I yeah. yeah. So, right. You know, so I'm hoping from that series that, you know, that it is an honest relationship co- superhero comic, well, so, whereas opposed to... Do we think they're headed toward a joint book with them? There's been no intimation to yeah. that. And October sol- are, the October solicitations. Isn't it Black Canary? But Mary? it's Connor, Connor Hawk. But it's Connor yeah. Hawk. But that's only one of the two. That's a cover. That but that's only one yeah. of the two covers. Right. You know. And w- and will you guys buy that? Because I know this is going to sound stupid, but I don't think I I don't buy a Green Arrow book, and I'm not sure I'd buy a Black Canary book. But I probably would buy a book with both of them in it. Hmm. Yeah. But see, but you do buy a Black Canary book. I've seen you do it twice already. So what's the hesitation? Fear of commitment. <laughs> <laughs> Dude. <laughs> I, my hope is that Gail has really taken, like, I hope it cannot go backwards. Right, that, it's, that she's made I mean? irrevoc- like, irrevocable she, character this is differences. This the Black Canary, right. and, like, you can't really, because 
we're talking about the fact that her in this role now with someone else writing her feels gross to us. Right. Right. Hopefully that is something that is like, no, right. that's not how you write Black Canary right. anymore. No like, one would go and take Superman Wonder and Woman write, right. or I mean, it's the right. same thing. So. Right. Right. Well, and I think it may help that she really didn't have much of a. I don't, what was she before this? Fish, you know, fishnets fish and kung fu. And kung fu. Yeah. Right. And a per, didn't you know? Wasn't there a purse involved? Because every female character in the 1940s had a purse. Oh, oh she probably no! Did. She no, had a motorcycle, she had a neck amulet. Right, a yeah. neck amulet. Which was like basically, it was like her, it was like her utility belt. Yeah, yeah. Like whatever she happened to need, like it was in this little tiny. Yeah, it's like a flash tapes. ring. Lock yeah. picks, uh, oh, yeah. Typically like, warheads, whatever. Oh, the freezing pill that she threw down Superwoman's throat oh, yeah. in, in the fight uh, versus the crime syndicate. Okay, yeah, yeah that's right. Yeah. But to answer <laughs> your, your question, Skip, I absolutely <laughs> would read a, a Green Arrow, Black Canary storyline. I mean, I'd read a Green Arrow and Yo-Yo Ma story, too, but, like, you know. <laughs> no, so would I. <laughs> wow. But, like, give me that cello. Twang. <laughs> <laughs> It'd be like a Green Arrow in anybody's story, but I'm excited about the Green Arrow and, uh, and uh, Black Canary. Hey, Ben, uh, just real quick, I need to clarify something. Sure. I love black people, by the way. That's all. I'm glad you brought that out. Uh, <laughs> to worry about that a little bit. And on that note, we're going to have a, a commercial uh, done by uh, the uh, infamous Brad Reed. Um, we have another one, so uh, sit back and listen. Dangers fill our modern world. Dangers that threaten you and your family. Dangers that old-fashioned means of protection are powerless to stop. Superhumans. Alien invaders. Time-traveling nuclear robot hillbillies. In this world gone mad, each and every one of us lives on the edge of catastrophe. Now at last, safety for you and your loved ones is within reach. The Securitech Family Defense Fruit Pie has proven effective against hundreds of threats, ranging from the ordinary to the extraterrestrial. Every time it has been deployed, the Securitech Fruit Pies have halted attacks, frozen assaults, and prevented disasters. At last, the Securitech Fruit Pie has been made available to everyday citizens. When anyone threatens you or your family, all you need to do is throw a Securitech Family Defense Fruit Pie at the bad guys. Distraction and incapacitation of your attackers are guaranteed. You will escape alive. Light tender crust and real fruit filling. Trust your safety and the safety of those you love to nothing less. Apple and cherry varieties are available. The Securitech Family Defense Fruit Pie, produced by Securitech Defense Bakeries, a division of LexCorp. LexCorp, bringing you the future tomorrow. Uh, for our second topic, we have something uh, a little different. Uh, we at Big Monkey were lucky enough to be visited by writer Mike Carey, uh, you know, who writes Ultimate Fantastic Four, The Regifters, uh, X-Men, and he spent a few minutes talking to our very own Devon Sanders about what it's like to be uh, a writer. And then after the interview, we'll have another uh, dramatic reading. We're here today at Big Monkey Comics with author Mike Carey. Uh, Mike, so what brings you to D.C.? Well, I'm basically here as part of a 10-city tour to promote my new novel, The Devil You Know, which has just been released from Warner Books, or Hachette Books, as they're shortly to become. So, they, yeah, they lined up a whole lot of appearances for me at um, bookshops and comic shops across the USA. 
going down the east coast and then jumping across and going down the west coast. Okay, that's very good. So, like, what is the process, and is there any sort of process in actually writing a book as opposed to a comic book where everything's sort of editorially driven, mostly with comics, where there's this sort of continuity that you have to work with as opposed to, you know what, I'm going to sit down, I'm going to make up my own continuity in this book. Um, there are, yeah, there are enormous differences on both of those counts, both um, the structure and the extent to which you have to sort of be um, observant of, of other people's ideas, other people's uh, you know, contributions to a shared, um, a shared universe or whatever. Uh, in terms of structure, comic books come out on a regular basis, and you you always have a short-term deadline to work to. Basically, if you're writing a even a very long arc on a book like X-Men or, or Lucifer or whatever, um, and you get to like the third or fourth episode and you suddenly realize that you could have set something up better back in the first um, issue, then it's too late. Right. Because by that stage, it's already penciled. Yeah, part of it's probably already inked. Um, the, the, the space you have to change your mind is very, very limited. As a novel, you live with for six or seven or eight months, and you can, you can get to chapter 23 and go back and change something in chapter one. You have that kind of vertical freedom. Um, and yet, there's, there's very, very little editorial fiat. You know, the, the, the editor's role is really to respond to what you're trying to do um, and to give you feedback on how well you're doing it. Whereas, obviously, with something like the X-Men, there are... Uh, there's a quarter of a century of continuity there. There are three and a half thousand X-Men related books already out there, and you can't just sort of uh, ride roughshod over things that other people have painstakingly built up. So you, you have you kind of have a, a responsibility to what's come before you, All right. um, which I, which I guess in some circumstances could become onerous, but uh, it did. I guess the editor's role there then is to be a, a facilitator or like a, be a, a mediator between you and the, the, the tradition that you're writing and the continuity and kind of uh, watch out the stuff that doesn't work, watch out the stuff that's uh, kind of either, either at odds tonally with what's come before or um, takes a character in a direction that doesn't work or whatever. They have to give you that, that input. Oh, okay. Oh, that's good to know. Um, also, I've noticed that one thing in your work, there's a lot of diversity in, in what you do. You you go easily from Lucifer to X-Men to My Faith in Frankie. Um, what is the actual process of actually being able to do all that? Is it just in a, just a faith in your own ability to be able to do all that? Or is it, you know what, This comic books are like movies. You can do, you can do romance, you can do this, and is it just... You simply just exploit the, the, the different genres within comics. It, it's impossible to overstate the extent to which um, my work is based on fear. Right. Um, the reason why I'm so prolific and do so, so many different books is because um, I have a huge insecurity that like, it's all going to dry up right. at the next moment. If I stop, then the work's going to stop coming. Mm -hmm. um, and I think the reason why I keep trying different things, the reason why I did my faith in Frankie and Regifters was um, that there's a danger, a real danger, that you'll end up just kind of pastiching your own past work. Right. And you're, you're, I suspect that if you do that, you're the last person to realize you're doing it. You, know, you, you recycle ideas. Right. You just tell the same story with slightly different names, slightly different details. So um, as a way of avoiding that, I try to sort of push myself into new directions and handle different kinds of material. Okay. Well, how important is the artist in the work that you set out to do? 
are totally crucial, mm -hmm. basically. I mean, um, an example would be Lucifer. Um, when we started out, I mean, the, the, the Lucifer miniseries was painted by Scott Hampton. My, my very first outing at DC, and I get paired up with Scott Hampton, so you know, <laughs> I can't complain. Um, that, but that was fantastic. And then um, when we started the monthly, we had Chris Weston uh, and James Hodgkins. Again, you know, a really powerful art team. But um, the chemistry between Penciler and Inca didn't work, and they both decided to leave the book mm. with issue three. And you know, at that stage, uh, you know, in a book's history, when you, you've only just been launched, to, to lose the entire art team is an appallingly bad thing. It's, right. it's, you know, it, it's a potentially lethal blow. And we, we thought we were going to die. Right. Um, but as it turned out, Peter Gross was coming off of Books of Magic mm. at exactly that time. Mm. And he picked it up with issue five. And suddenly, you know, we've actually found our identity. That's the point where the book comes together and we know what we're doing. Right. Um, basically, finding the right artist for the right project is the difference between success and disaster. And you do write differently for different artists. You get to know an artist's um, nuances. You, know, you, you, you can play to their strengths increasingly with Peter Gross, I knew exactly uh, how he would respond to certain kinds of things. And I was able to use a shorthand in writing for him, and I was able to set things up that I knew he'd just be able to hit out of the park. Okay. I also noticed uh, when I was reading uh, your bio on Wikipedia that you used to be a high school teacher. Now, one of the things that we've been trying to do here at the stores, we've been trying to figure out ways to get younger people to actually read comics. Right. How do you go about doing something like that? That's, that's a tough one. Um, I think partly it's a problem with the way the industry is now organized. Um, when I was growing up, comics were distributed overwhelmingly through newsstands. You'd go into a newsagent shop, um, and there would be a spinner rack of comics. In the UK, there would be American comics, but you'd never know from one month to the next which comics were going to come in. You'd just take whatever was there. You know, you might get the first part of a, a Daredevil story, and they'd never get the second part of the story in. So um, you, you, you were eclectic. You just picked up whatever you could. Um, and it was a great introduction to the medium. So I grew up loving all kinds of comics, you know, superheroes, but also westerns, horror, um, everything that was out there. I, I would buy and read um, absolutely voraciously. But with the 80s, with the late 80s, you begin to get that kind of um, distribution through the direct market. And I'm aware that, you're, obviously, you're, you're, you're working in that market. But the, the problem is that the people who come into comic shops tend to be people who already know what they're looking for. Right. So where's the entry point? Right. Um, I think DC and Marvel are both addressing it to some extent because they're now doing deals with people like Walmart to try and get comic books um, available in, in their stores. Um, obviously... Part of the idea with Minx is to appeal to a, a teenaged demographic, which um, the manga phenomenon has proved is out there. Um, beyond that, I don't know. I don't know what you do. Beyond, okay. beyond sort of stringent quality control and just uh, a lot of money spent on promotion. <laughs> right. Well, let's go back to Minx. Uh, you just did Regifters. Um, that just came out recently. And pretty soon you have uh, Confessions of a Blabbermouth coming out with your daughter. Yeah. Now... How do you actually write with your daughter without overpowering her? Um, fortunately, my daughter knows how to, to um, stick up for herself. Right. So early on, I was kind of uh, leaning over her shoulder and saying, you don't do that, you do this, and that's, that's not how you give art direction. <laughs> look, 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 let me, let me. And we reached a point where she turned around and said to me, we, we have an editor, right. and it's not you. <laughs> you are not the editor of me. 
Okay. Um, and and we, we sort of developed the modus vivendi. Um, it, was, it was tough in some ways because it turns out that her life is even more uh, complicated and overfilled than mine is. So finding times when we could sit down and actually rough out the, the storyline uh, was, was difficult. Um, and also sort of deciding on a, on a model that would be organic, you know, so that there wouldn't be chunks that were her and chunks that were just me, you know, that we could we'd actually sort of um, find a way to merge our styles. So what we, what we ended up doing was she would write a scene and then we would discuss the dialogue together and then I would write a scene and we would discuss the dialogue together. And I think we ended up with a fairly, a fairly cohesive um, finished, finished product. Okay. So what's coming up in the near future? Um, in the near future. Well, I've got Voodoo Child coming out from Virgin Comics, which is a story I'm writing from a pitch by Nicholas and Weston Cage, okay. which is very cool. It's um, set largely in New Orleans after Hurricane Katrina, mm. but there's also um, a framing story which is set in, um, in, in the same area, but just before the outbreak of the Civil War, at the point where the southern states are, are seceding. In the Union. Mm. Um, it's a fascinating story because it's it's a it's kind of a horror story, a zombie story in a way, but it has a, a, a very very um, distinct political dimension. It's about corruption. It's about um, the, the the ethics of public life. It's about um, personal and public probity. Mm. Um, if, if I could put it like that, being true to yourself or uh, or not being true to yourself. And it's a, it's a story that has sort of like enormous emotional punch as well. Okay, that's good. Um, what else am I doing? Um, I'm probably picking up another X-Men related book really? uh, from Marvel, which um, I'm hoping will be announced shortly. Um, I'm almost certainly going to do at least one more book for the Minx line. It's just about possible that Lou and I will team up again for another Minx book. I hope so. Thanks for being here, and we look forward to everything that you have coming out in the near future. My pleasure. Thanks a lot. Green Lantern's light. There. Now I can proceed with my assigned task of giving heat and power to a faltering star sun, thereby enabling life to grow and thrive on its planets. My duties are not only to maintain justice on the star worlds in my sector of space, 2814, but to prevent catastrophic natural injustices too. All life must be given its chance to thrive and multiply. That was everyone's favorite Green Lantern, Hal Jordan. Uh, for our third and final topic, we're going to talk about uh, being a new reader to comics. Um, as a comic shop, uh, getting new readers you know, into comics is pretty important to us. But even more important, as a fan, I don't want to see the industry that has given me so much happiness you know, falter and fail, which is my you know, a concern. Um, so the first question is, why do you read comics? After all, the best way to get uh, into comics is to explain your feelings about them. And also, I want to hear about the first comic you remember reading. And I want to start with Skip. Ooh, uh, so why, so why do you read comics more. and <laughs> first comic? Uh, I read comics because they're a lot of fun. I read comics because, um, unlike a lot of literature today, they address really powerful basic questions like, what is right and what is wrong? And people make fun of comics because they kind of say, well, comics make that simple. You know, the good guys are too good and the bad guys are too bad. Maybe that used to be the case. And nowadays it's a little grayer 
and it's a little harder to figure out what's the right thing to do and, and what's the wrong thing to do, who's good and who's bad. But to me, the important part is that comic books still believe that that's a very important question and that you need to think about that all the time. And I believe that too. Uh, comic books aren't morally relativistic. They're trying to help you find your way <laughs> in the world. Cool. Yeah, good point. Um, first, the comic? first comic I ever read, The Joker's Five Way Revenge, <laughs> where I figured out pretty quickly that you know the guy who was killing people and feeding, pushing old men in wheelchairs into shark tanks, that he was the bad guy. <laughs> that that helped make it all pretty clear to me. <laughs> Tori, why do you read uh, comics? Um, you know, I got into comics because um, I was kind of looking for something in comics that had strong women characters that was a, um, a, a characterization that was beyond just, uh, you know, a, a working woman or um, someone who was powerful and was, um, you know, going to work and doing a man's job or whatever. Like, mm. the women in comics are so much more than that. They are, you know, they are their, themselves and they, you know, you can't have in, in like literature or TV like women that go out and like kick your ass because you're like, it, it's not as fun, you know. You, you, <laughs> you put these women in these awesome costumes and they go out and kick your ass because you're not, you know, you're not doing it right. <laughs> and, and they're there to let you know it, you know. And yeah. they can, and that's, you know, that's the most fun. And, you know, I started out reading them and, you know, I'd read like one at a time, and you know, I was very scared about like oh, I can't branch out because this is all I can figure out. But fear of commitment. Fear of commitment. <laughs> fear of overloading. Um, but now, you know, the way they're all interconnected, especially you know, getting into Countdown, and you can read, you know, Amazon's Attack, and then Wonder Woman, and then Teen Titans, and then Supergirl. Like I have been able to expand so much because you can pick out, you know, each of these characters in so many other. Um, and so many of the other books, and it's just been, I love it. I never thought that I would, and I do. <laughs> first comic? Uh, that would be uh, Manhunter mm-hmm. was the first one. Skip introduced me to that, and uh, I'm waiting for that one to come back. <laughs> Devon? Um, I guess the reason I read comics is uh, because I, I love to read, but I also have a kind of short attention span. <laughs> um in all honesty, I love to read books, but my problem with a lot of books nowadays is that a lot of writers are so in love with their prose that they can't even hear the characters anymore. And also that it's rapidly becoming a problem in comics as well, but that's a whole other topic. <laughs> but um, <laughs> the reason that I read comics is just because I love the idea that there's some guy out there or some woman out there who goes, you know what, I'm going to build the universe and then with just maybe like three words, I'll destroy it. And I just love that. I mean, it's like every month somebody comes up, steps up to the plate, and basically adds on to a world, to a universe, to to a, a galaxy. It doesn't matter. It's just like these myths, they're just going to go on forever and they're going to outlive us. And I just love the fact that we can sit there and actually partake in all that. Comic books are the new mythology. Yeah. They really, truly are. And uh, and uh, first comic? I don't remember my first comic, but I remember the first comic that left an impression on me. It was an issue at G.I. Joe, nice. where 
Yeah, it was a lot of it was a gateway comic for a lot of kids in the eighties. But it just, was just one more GI Joe, man. <laughs> snake eyes, please. No, there was no snake eyes in there. It was Ace versus Wicked Weasel in a in a dog fight over over like, and it was pretty much wordless. But it was like here's like you know this like crazy uh, like fighter pilot for a terrorist organization going against like one of America's best flyboys, and at the end. The women are sitting in the back of like uh, uh, I think it was Scarlet was sitting in the back <laughs> nice. of Ace's uh, uh, fighter uh, jet, and the Baroness was in the back of <laughs> Wicked Weasel's jet, and the women are playing backseat driver, and they're like, "You could have beat him! Why didn't you shoot him?" Because at the end of it, they just salute each other. Mm. It's like they're out of bullets. They salute each other and they go on their way. They had a warriors. They they fought like warriors, but it was just like, and I remember it left an impression of me on me, and it was kind of bad actually in retrospect. But the fact that these men acted like men in there was just awesome to me. It was just like we're out of bullets. This fight is over. We're walking away. I just I love that. Yeah. That's great. And yeah. Now and now your whole. Uh because Devon's a big fan of Conagher and war comics, and mm-hmm. I never quite understood. Now I get it. Yeah, I get yeah. it. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Uh, let's see. Me. I hated jogging. No. <laughs> you know. I'm kidding. Why I mean, I. Oh, why I, I got that into was the name of a comic? No, 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 no. <laughs> why I got no? I hated the outdoors. <laughs> I burn easily. No. <laughs> ben Hatton's I hate jogging. Number one. <laughs> First issue special. Because you demanded it. <laughs> I know. Right, right. Here's how to sit on your couch. No. Um, kids, check here. What do you want to see more of in comics? Jogging. <laughs> Black people. <laughs> Social <laughs> issues. And Tiffany's. <laughs> and Black people in the back. Right. <laughs> um, you know... You know, it's kind of a secret shame that, like, the reason I got into comics is probably, you know, what, 90% of adolescent boys got into, like, you know, it. someone got shot in the head. I, I got into comics mostly because of image. And someone got shot in the oh head. My. I know. It's a shame, man. <laughs> it's, it's like, I cry on the inside oh, when I think about it. now we know why you lay awake at night reading independent yeah. comics. Yeah, but you know what, Skip? But you know what, Skip? He's still here. That's there right. You go. I'm there just saying, go. you know, like, someone got shot in the head. Every single issue, and they're just like, <laughs> like, you know, Jim Lee and Grifter were involved. They'd just be like, "Look, there's another dude. There goes a kneecap," and I'd be like, "That's so awesome!" It's like the rolling it of Panther Comics. Man. I know, and uh, you know, this will be even sadder. But the first comic that I remember getting into was uh, was Knights of the Dinner Table, and uh, yeah. you know what I'm talking about. Uh, I know that one. It, it's a comic book about role playing games. I know. <laughs> So it was like a double threat <laughs> of like super nerdiness. I know. Um, I, I think did, I'm did learning they, more about you now than I ever thought I would. Dude, that was amazing. Did, it, was like a, it was like a deep fried Twinkie, basically. Dude, it was just like, <laughs> did they play pogs and dessert? Or no, I mean, it was like, it was really just like inside role playing jokes. Uh, it was all like, ah, don't touch my lucky D20. And, <laughs> and I was like, man, I could make comics. <laughs> It's like, I could write jokes like this. <laughs> and then, like, you know, I mean, you know, my twin brother, he collected all Spider-Mans and all that stuff. And I would, you know, the first comic I remember owning on my own was was uh, Knights of the Dinner Table. <laughs> <laughs> so, so, hmm. Well, this, 
this, I don't know what your question is, but my question is, does it matter whether your first comics are bad or not? No, mm-hmm. not at all. No, no, no way. No, because it, yours I mean, was. It was no, it was good. Mine was downright terrible. I mean, come on, but uh, yeah, not at all. Because when there's something about like when you go into a comic book store or you grab something like at the drugstore spinner, and like there are places that still have them, and like you pick it up, it doesn't matter what it is. If there, if it's a joke, if it's the art, if it's whatever that keeps you reading, Mm -hmm. then that's then it doesn't matter if it's you know. You know, a drawing of a bald-headed guy with a you know pencil, or you know, a fighter ace. Is if you love the medium, you're going to read it. Uh, I want to test that because Tori, I gave you Manhunter because Manhunter's good. Right. Everybody knows that. That's why it got canceled. So a <laughs> <laughs> uh, um, couple times. But if I had given you something else, I mean, it's it's hard to second guess. But something else. I'd given you Simpson comics. <laughs> <laughs> no, I mean a superhero comic, but maybe not one as good. Well, I think regardless, you you kind of end up. I mean, you helped me because I kind of told you what it was I was looking for. Mm. You know, but I think the first comic you pick up is probably something you're drawn to anyway. You know, mm-hmm. like there's reasons you pick up that first book. Mm. So like I played role playing games. Right. <laughs> <laughs> or in George's case, I want to hit people with a big stick. That's I right. Big <laughs> sticks. Bam. Yeah. I. You know. Right. I would have picked up that book anyway. Skip wanted anyway. to shove old people in the ass. <laughs> 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 it's my most charming trait. <laughs> <laughs> Skip's like to burn geriatric. <laughs> <laughs> oh, okay. oh, Actually, oh. I want to ask our second question, um, which is, you know, as great it is that, you know, people can break into comics, the industry has changed, so less new readers um, are coming on. The average age is increasing, which isn't a bad thing, but... You know, if you, there's something about being young and really getting into comics, that's kind of the prime age when you're going to. It's like anything. You discover sports when you're a young kid. You will most likely love sports when you're grown up. I mean, it's that's you know, you build. It's like why they do name brand building towards young people. So why is it changing? Why is the industry not appealing? Why is it not becoming as new reader friendly? And when we get to Tori, I want you. To, I want to ask, did you have a hard time? breaking into that because you know you had Skip and Devon and the people who work at Big Monkey to really kind of give you that edge and there are no better teachers <laughs> not in the comic book world that's not, right um, not to like help you know say well if you like this you should read this right <laughs> and um, and so I um, so I want to ask that Devon um, why is the industry changing why is the industry changing because we're getting older it's like we're getting older honestly um the problem is, is, my problem with the industry as it stands right now is it's, it's cannibalizing itself. Um, it's doing things like Final Crisis, like 25 years after Crisis on Infinite Earths. And if you are a new comics reader, it's not for you. Right. It's because, all- right. And it's like, because it's like, okay, you have to get into Infinite Crisis. You have to get into the Crisis on Infinite Earths. And... What comic book companies are failing at, in my opinion, is that they don't realize how you make new customers. You have to put your best foot forward when a new customer walks through the door, meaning that the first time that someone walks through your door could also be the last time someone walks through your door. So 
me personally, I won't necessarily put an infinite crisis in someone's hand or an identity crisis in someone's hand, something that requires about 20 years of comic book reading to get what you do is you put something like Manhunter in someone's hand. Or Blue Beetle. Or Blue Beetle, yeah. where it's yeah. just like, you know what? Here's good writing. Here's good art. Scott Pilgrim. And Scott Pilgrim. And uh, that's what, like, I, I think the, in all honesty, as much as I love it, I think that's where DC is failing. Yeah. It's like they're, they're looking at us, and I'm 35, as, hey, he's going to be around. I'm, I'm going to be around for a little while longer, but you're not building anything right. new. Well... Skip, on the one How's hand, it? on the one hand, I agree completely with Devon. On the other hand, there's a lot of stuff that they're doing right that I think we don't pay a lot of attention to. Um, they're continually introducing their comic book characters in other media, like cartoons for kids. You know, Batman the Animated Series, followed by the Batman, Superman the Animated Series, Justice League Unlimited, Teen Titans, now the Legion of Superheroes. We don't pay as much attention to that because I don't think we watch it. But I think that has a lasting effect on, you know, on generations. Um, and I think they're doing well with it. And having comic books that go with it nowadays, that's great too. Uh, I think their major mistake is marketing those only toward kids. Mm. <laughs> I want to read stuff like that too. Right. Um, and as much as I like the animated style, it's difficult to say, here, Toy, read this comic book that looks kind of juvenile. Right. But is actually one of the best characterized yeah. books on the stand. Justice stands. League Unlimited is one of the best books right. out there, right? Yeah. Right. And which is a perfect introduction to the entire DC universe. They, they, need to start, they need to start making a whole rack of comics like that. There needs to be one of those for all of the yeah. major characters. Yeah, I can't fathom trying to get into Infinite Crisis or, you know, and I feel like I have, you know, in just a couple months, I have built up a, a lot stronger, you know, library in my head about that. But, you know, I look at it on the shelf, I'm like, oh, yeah, it's not going to go there right now, you know? <laughs> I mean, there used to be a time where you could open a book and it'd go, you know, first page, ever since I got hit by that acid, I've developed, <laughs> I've developed radar sense. <laughs> and they don't do that anymore. Right. right. You can't pick that up anymore and, and do that. Yeah. And you know, editor's note that happened in Daredevil Seven. <laughs> Daredevil number one, you know, like yeah. I mean, there used to be that time. It used to, and not just about like making old comments or doing things like that. The industry is not welcoming anymore mm. to new yeah, readers. That's very true. You know, you have. To, it's like because they gear towards Marvel Adventures and Justice League to young kids. So like, if we can hook the young kids. And if we can get them to love the medium, they'll stick it out till they're old enough. If we can get little girls interested with minks, they'll love the medium and they'll get involved with it. But if they're like, but if we don't get them and they come back at 20 years old or 25 or 30, unless they have nice comic book people to say, you should read this, here's answers to your questions, they're like, we don't care and we don't want them. Yeah. You know. Yeah, they need to recognize that adults sometimes and want to come into comics. One of the things that we've realized in moving to this new location is that there are a lot of people who really want to get into comics and they just need to get over the hump. And once they come in, they really want to get into them and it's frustrating because it's hard to find good stuff to give right. them. It's easily accessible. Yeah. Yeah, I want to actually uh, wrap up the conversation which is if you could have like one thing that the major comic book companies could do 
what would you think would help get new readers interested? Us, I mean, there are great things like free comic book day and stuff like that, but what would be one thing you could think could happen? Uh, we'll start with Skip. Wow. Um, I would like a whole line of comics. Like, you have Vertigo. I would like a whole line of G-rated comics. Mm-hmm. And I would buy it, and I would be able to give it to a kid, and I'd be able to give it to an adult if it had the same kind of quality writing that, like, the animated comics. That's what I want. Mm-hmm. Not because I don't like other stuff, but because you need that for an entry book. Tori? Well, you know, I don't... I don't know as much about the industry, but I think it's like the individuals, like how, you know, this store in particular is like, we need a women's comic book discussion group because, you know, you're excited about this and and you can like spread this from a newcomer's point of view. So I start trying to talk about comics with, you know, with people who aren't reading them now and they're like, I I don't know. And that's how I was about it initially. But I'm so, I'm so jacked up about it. Like I, you know, I talked to everybody about it, and they're like, "Are you sure?" I don't know. <laughs> uh, well, all right. And and you kind of have to let go of the illusion of like it's going to make sense somehow. You just have to let it go, and that's what becomes fun about it. I, you know, I've so, actually seen the homeless people <laughs> run away from. Oh yeah, for sure, for sure. No, no, come back, come back, no, Mark, is it too pretty? I'll buy you, <laughs> I'll buy you a pint if you read the Power <laughs> Girl special. That's what we should be doing. Forties and forties. <laughs> Forties and Power Girl. I, I mean, hey. I'm, I'm going to go out right now. Uh, yeah. Devon Industries. Oh, we'll give you a ten dollar gift certificate. <laughs> the fun store. What would Devon do? That's what you all should ask yourself. I ask that um, every day. <laughs> uh, what would I do? Um, you know what I would do? I, I, I huge proponent of less decompression. And you're once here. you exactly. Um, what I would ask from from DC, bring back the DC Digest. Take the stories that you thought best represented your mm. your your catalog of what you did. Wow. Put them in a cheap digest. Put them next to the Archies and offer them for sale in uh you know in supermarkets. Are you listening? Are you listening? DC's DC? marketing. Are you listening, Dan the Deal? Dan I know you subscribe <laughs> to this podcast. No, but uh, yeah, that's what right. I do because <laughs> I one of my first memories was uh well later memories but first later memories was when I was a kid uh, grabbing the DC Digest from a uh, supermarket. Um, I paid for it. By I was the about way. to say, yeah. <laughs> shoplifting, <laughs> eh? And I and, ran into the back of Tiffany. <laughs> right. And I remember, like, reading <laughs> with the rest of the black people. <laughs> but uh, I remember reading this thing and going, okay, out of the six or seven stories in here, I care about four of them. But it was enough yeah. to make me happy. Yeah. And we need more of that. Instead of like, you know, okay, the best of like, you know, Jimmy Olsen in like a 1999 hardbound book. It's great and everything, but well, it's not going to get a kid get in here. It's old right. fans. We're like, exactly. you know, I love this stuff when I was I know. Kid. It's yeah. like if you got like, you know, those 12-page like backup Aquaman stories, hey, Put, put them in, in there yeah. along with like some new Justice League Unlimited yeah. material. I'm and, I'm full of oh, ideas. That's great. And yeah. I, yeah. yeah, yeah. I think that's a, totally a good uh, yeah. a good uh, note to end on. So um, we're gonna have a dramatic reading, followed by a, a word from our sponsor. It's a very special word from our sponsor this time. We got big things happening next week, so uh, stay tuned. How's it hanging, pals? Blockade Boy here, speaking to you from the recording studio of my kick-ass pirate spaceship. 
of the HMS Exquisite, in the year of our luck, Lord 2987. Scipio asked me to do a dramatic reading of the caption boxes from the first page of the September 1971 issue of Iron Man, and no matter how much I try, I cannot say no to Scipio. I'm no stranger to voice work, by the way. You may recognize my deep, husky tones from my commercials for the Soylent Green Council. Soylent Green, you're what's for dinner. I was also the guest announcer for Wynath's very first Kango Bronc Rodeo. There were no survivors. No, I don't feel like talking about it. Let's get reading. You all just sit back and try to enjoy the florid rantings of one Mr. Jerry Conway. Here goes. Study the working of time, how its facets cut and mold the lives of men. Study this most ominous of scenes, and see how the twistings of reality take their toll on the destinies of men. But for just a detour of fate, this day would end in catastrophic disaster. But for the whim that brings these two men to this place at this time, our story would end differently. For at this moment, and in this place, 5.30 on a calm, slightly moist Washington afternoon, destiny intertwines the lives of these men with the life of Tony Stark. There you go, pals, blockade boys, signing off. And that should hold the little bastards. What? Oh, for... God damn it, Tusker. You were supposed to hit the stop button when I gave you the cut sign. What do you mean you don't know where it is? It's a big red button that says stop. Now for, no, just sit still and don't touch anything. Why do I have to do everything myself? Big Monkey Comics has two fantastic stores. One located in Fredericksburg, Virginia, and the other in Washington, D.C., which is where this podcast is recorded. If you have any interest in reading the comics mentioned in today's show, simply swing on by and grab them. Yet, Big Monkey Comics is so much more than a simple store. Come by our D.C. location this Wednesday, August 1st at 7 p.m. for the Women Comic Discussion Group, led by the now-famous Tori Tyree. Also, this coming weekend, August 4th and 5th, is the Dog Days Sidewalk Celebration. All the businesses on 14th and U Streets will be having fantastic sales on all sorts of merchandise, from flowers to clothing to pet supplies. Big Monkey Comics will be offering crazy discounts on toys, statues, apparel, and trade paperbacks for as low as $2. What's more, on Saturday the 4th, there's a Heroclix tournament starting at 1 p.m., as well as sidewalk demonstrations of the miniatures game. Don't miss out on all the marvelous madness that is the Dog Day Celebration. That's 1722B, 14th Street, Northwest. And if you can't make it to our physical location, check out Big Monkey online at www.bigmonkeycomics for news, reviews, merchandise, and Big Monkey Radio. Big Monkey Comics, where comics are more fun than ever. Now it's time for recommendations, where we take the opportunity to point out comics that have come out in the last few weeks that have struck us as uh, particularly exceptional. And we're going to start with Tori. Put you on the spot. All right, I'm on the spot. I have two. Uh, the the final Gail Simone, Birds of Prey, came out, and that was um, it was a perfect way to wrap up uh, Gail's run and how you know you you know there's a new chapter coming, you know where Oracle's going. Uh, Black Canary made you know made her cameo in that. Um, everybody was there. That was really a fantastic. That was a fantastic one. And then. The other one, which I have just recently fell in love with, is my friend Power Girl. Oh, 
In JSA. Oh, in JSA. Yeah, I, I honestly, she was the, uh, everything she did was, she's the leader. You saw why she's the leader. And, um, she, yeah, she's she's the it girl for me. These <laughs> nice. <laughs> Skip. She should be the it girl for you. Yeah. Yeah. I she's know. like, she just teaches you about hair care as well as ass picking <laughs> and, like. <laughs> she just, and those boots. <laughs> those boots. <laughs> Skip, cut, recommendation. Uh, I'm going to recommend uh, uh, JSA Classified. It had a great Jakeem Thunder story in it. Absolutely great. And it addressed a very essential question of, if you have a magic genie that can do anything, then why don't you fix everything? And when somebody told me that that's what the story was about, I was like, yeah, okay, whatever. I'll read it. I love the story. It was really good. Um, not only uh, this is a man who really hates Green Arrow. It not only did it flesh <laughs> him out as a character, but uh, it gave me a good perspective on Green Lantern and what he's like um, as a leader and as a mentor. And uh, sometimes there's just things that you have to learn for yourself, and that's one of the things you learn when you read that comic book. So I recommend it to everybody. Nice, Devon. Um, I'm going to recommend Blue Beetle again. Um, yeah. There is absolutely nothing wrong with that book. <laughs> Let me tell you, the latest issue, just everything you could ask for in a comic book, just spot on writing by uh, John Rogers. Incredible, incredible. It just keeps getting better every oh, issue. Yeah. Artwork um, by Raphael Albuquerque. And you just put the two of them together and with a with a shadowed Bruce Wayne appearance, and it's just like everything, just such a good, good book. And at the Ooh, end, Typhoon. Typhoon you know? and Last time he was fighting was Firestorm back in like the 80s. Exactly. Firestorm oh, fights Typhoon. Wow. Exactly. And like, it's just, and at the You're end, welcome. when <laughs> after he solves the problem, he's still not happy with himself. And when his father like comforts him, I swear, that I, I cried. That's it. I cried. I cried. I'm a big sissy. I cried. <laughs> I really, truly did. And then as far as like other books I could recommend, uh, it would not be Martian Manhunter, the others among us, I can tell you that. Um, bring back John John's the Martian Manhunter, please, just bring him back. As opposed um, to John John's the Conehead. Yeah, exactly. And you know what? For the third time, I've, I reread it. Uncle Sam and the Freedom Fighters, yeah. the trade paperback. Just go buy it. Yeah. Just don't question me. Just go yeah. buy it. You can't keep it on the shelves? Yeah, yeah we can't no. keep it on the shelves. Nice. Thanks, Devon. Mm-hmm. Uh, our... Uh, uh, I'm re- recommending uh, an Oni press. It's called uh, Multiple Warheads. Uh, I think there it's part of a two-part, maybe a three-part. Is that a girl comic then? No, it's an indie comic. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> um, it's definitely not. It's not an all-ages read at all. <laughs> but you know, it's got. They're, they're, I like kind of post-apocalyptic. Things are screwed up, but it's very tongue-in-cheek about the future. Um, I really like that kind of genre of film or a comic. So it's fun, but again, don't give it to your seven-year-old. <laughs> um, so that's it for the uh, recommendations. We'll come back with lightning round and in a moment. I'm just scouting for any sign of where this crime conference is taking place. And look what I have to put up with. Ninjas. Someone want to loan me ten bucks so I can buy a clue here? Steel alloy disc jamming their faces. Figure that hurts. Who are these clowns? What's their part in this game? And why didn't they take the elevator up like I did? One left. No room for a disc. He doesn't have to know that this gun's only loaded with scatter shot. 
he doesn't have to care much either. Mano y mano, muy macho, just the way Jack likes it. Nice. The steel pins I put in the jacket lining after confronting Deadpool's sword flashing worked just fine. Let's see how my new bud deals with a made-in-the-USA roundhouse right. Jackpot! That one's a winner. That internal blow-by-blow comes from Nomad Number 5, written by Fabian Nassiza. Now it's time for the lightning round, uh, where we answer questions submitted by listeners out there. The first uh, lightning round question kind of stems out of our third topic, and it is, if you wanted to introduce a seven-year-old kid to the greatness that is comics via trade paperback, what would be your choice? Devon. Eek. Um, Justice League Unlimited. Skip. Uh, one of the showcase editions, probably maybe Superman or Batman. Tori. Ah, yeah. Um, I think I think going right into the JSA. Fair enough. Hmm. Yeah, definitely. I, she I, didn't say Manhunter. No, no, no. <laughs> not for the seven-year-old. <laughs> I say Bone or the collected mm. issues of Knights of the Dinner Tape. No. <laughs> <laughs> it's a rolling. Milk and cheese. Uh, Follow-up. <laughs> That's right. If you wanted to introduce an adult to superhero comics, thereby dis- disallowing uh, Vertigo Watchmen, for the same reason, what would be your choice for those trade paperbacks? Oh, jeez, Ben, why did you ask me that? Um, um, Superman up, up, and away. Uh, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Uh, Skip? Uh, Zowie. Um, Brave and the Bold. Oh, that's a mm. good one. Brave and the Bold. I have to say Birds of Prey. Nice. It's yeah. the best. I'd say uh, there you go. Planetary. Mm. That's really? a great superhero comic. Mm. Pretty excellent. Uh, second question. If he were real... What would Plastic Man smell like? Ah. <laughs> Devon? He would smell like that action figure that you just pulled out of the box. <laughs> uh, my he personal, would smell sweet. My <laughs> personal, <laughs> smell like new shoe. No. <laughs> <laughs> my personal theory is that um, he smell. He has absolutely no smell at all. He's like pure plastic, no smell, because otherwise you'd smell him every time he disguised himself as, like, you know, a rug or a lamp or something. That mailbox smells like Cavassier. <laughs> <laughs> it smells like high karate. <laughs> Plastic Man's opposite, and he smells like Rubbermaid. Uh, uh, ooh. We need to get you on lightning rounds more often. <laughs> what would, uh, final question, what, what could either Marvel or DC do to make you swear off comics forever? Hire Skip. <laughs> <laughs> Fire Skip. <laughs> Sorry? Be in the same room with Skip. <laughs> Kill Green Arrow. <laughs> and on that note, that's all for our show today. Okay. If you have any questions, comments, or dramatic readings for the show, go ahead th- go ahead and send them to Ben at BigMonkeyComics.com. Also, the theme song contest is still in effect. <laughs> I really want a theme song. And it will be for a long time. That's right, until someone sends one in. So please send one in. All I hear are the Jeffersons in my head right now for some reason. I want Red Fox. Banner, banner. It's like Sanford and Son. It's like a mod squad. That's right. You do it underwater. Yeah, something techno. Aquaman does. Sanford and if you've got the musical talent, create a song between 30 seconds and a minute to play at the show's introduction. That means you, Gary Newman. That's right. We need some synth pop. 
really? Because I'd want, like, what is it, Randy Newman? I wanted to be, like, all, oh like... <laughs> no, I just want something that's, like, do, 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 podcast. If your song is picked, we'll pick up, uh, we'll pick up, you'll get your own, very own Big Monkey Comics t-shirt. Harold Faldemeyer. Thanks again it. for listening, and have a good evening. <laughs>